1: this is a rogue media network podcast
2: coming up on the payoff Hannah sward is an amazing story she's more than 12 years sober she had more than a decade of hardcore crystal meth use prior to that use she was an escort she was a stripper Uh, her book is called strip and it chronicles her road to recovery and it was a long and rocky one this conversation is near and dear to my heart already It was long, but it was based on recovery. We talk a lot of recovery because she speaks the same language as I do and hopefully the same language as you do right now. Or maybe if you need help or you know somebody that needs help, this can open your eyes. Hannah is informing and she's entertaining and she's way cool. But first, Kevin Souza. First thing I wanna ask you, uh, how many how many meetings are you getting to? Because I need to, by the way, because I'm thinking I need a meeting. To, so I was like, I, I'm just gonna be a, 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 an alcoholic and tell her.
0: Yeah, well, I love the way you just jump right in because that's what we do, right? <laughs> like, let's get to it. I get, I'm, I'm someone that needs, I, I need a lot of meetings uh, in order to kind of be on level mm-hmm. or somewhere near there. So I have three anchor meetings that I go to like three core meetings. And then I get to another couple meetings, uh, that I kind of float around in, uh, that's not true. I have four anchor meetings and the other two, I'm also in another program. So, uh, yeah. Are you cool to
2: say what the other program is?
0: Of course it's Al-Anon.
2: Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 I could use that too. I, I, I have, I'm from a family of alcoholics. Both my brothers are sober. One of them lives out by you in Hermosa. Uh, okay. And my other brother lives in, in Philadelphia, and they're both. The, I tell people it's the last club on earth we wanted to join, but here we are.
0: Here we are. Wow. Oh, so you, yeah. that's. And where are you? I wasn't here I'm in on
2: Texas. That. I'm in Waco, so I'm right between Dallas and Austin. I've been here for about six years.
0: Nicest people in Texas, I always
2: think. They really are nice. Yeah, I, I, I like it, and it's like one of those things where I got here and I'm not sure if I'm ever going to leave. I, I, I like it more than I thought I would.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a good feeling.
2: Well, the biggest thing is, and see if you can relate. I, I traveled yeah. around a lot for work. I still do. And the first place I went when I moved here, because I'm, yeah. gr- I'm a big grown man, my mom helped me move, right? So my mom was, was like detailing my apartment. And the first thing I did was I said, I'm going to a meeting. And I went to a meeting and that's been my home group for the past coming up on six years. And it's like, being an alcoholic is pretty cool like that. I felt like you can plug right in.
0: So cool. I feel so fortunate. I mean, you know, with the book tour, I was able to get to meetings and I mean just, yeah, wherever and and whenever. And all of a sudden you have these people that are in your life and you could go, yeah, anywhere. Yeah.
2: So the book is called Strip. And it's it's unbelievable. I mean, I haven't read the whole thing, but' I've, I've gone through it and I cannot believe that uh, you are able to and I really can't believe this because I don't know what it's like. I mentioned you're able to access some of these difficult topics and go through them. And I heard I heard you say that you couldn't actually write about some of the stuff like some of the sex work, some of the the, the meth and, and and the stripping in your yeah. first couple drafts. It took you a little bit and I love how you say. You had to get further into recovery to get there.
0: Well, wow. First, just thank you so much for, you know, I mean you you're you're clearly prepared. I've <laughs> no one's ever really brought that up uh in a podcast that you know with that knowledge. Yes, it definitely did. I it took me a long time to write the book because it really was a journey with my recovery. And the sex scenes. Uh, I couldn't have done it sooner. I needed enough recovery, uh, outside therapy, to come to a place in myself where I could, could go there and have the tools to anchor myself, to bring myself in, bring myself out, and have a new experience with it while also trying to bring in the reader. Uh, and it was was very intentional uh and and i know in the earlier drafts like i had an agent and he had said you just gloss right over the sex he said and we had sex and i'm like mm, what's wrong with that
3: yeah. <laughs> It's
0: like we need a little more a little more take us into the hotel room you know take us into uh you know take us in bed
3: take us
2: to bed yeah, that's I. I even when you say that, take a deep breath because it's just heavy. It's just heavy stuff. Um, and yeah. you know, you, in your childhood, you grow up, and it's not only heavy; it's kind of empty. Your your mom is not there. I, I've I've heard you say you know you felt like you were in the crib, just reaching up, and 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 nothing was there. You, you weren't able to yeah. establish contact with anything. Describe a little bit what it was like. You grew up in a bohemian lifestyle, uh, but it was yeah. also. Somewhat empty, as far as an emotional standpoint and parents are concerned.
0: Yeah, I. I mean, it was definitely a colorful childhood. It was empty in the sense of, I mean, that de, that description of being a baby and, and and reaching out and nothing like to hold on to, really encompasses it because it was like there was a, there was just no stability, which you know, I think a lot of people can identify with that in different ways. Hopefully the feeling, uh, for me, that looked a lot like, you know, I had, uh, my father was his first love was poetry. It was everything. And it was what I loved about him most. And it was also one of the, one of the, uh, challenges. Cause he was always elsewhere. Right. And to, to have a parent that is elsewhere, it is, especially when it's your primary parent and also he really loved women uh he'd love getting married and uh moving around and he's married, modern- this is the guy different- who's
2: married like five times right okay <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah you are yeah. you are
3: <laughs> come on guys uh, yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah
0: yeah five, five times and uh and and a number of girlfriends, uh, along the way. And yeah, you know, we, we grew up, I grew up at one point on an Island that had no cars or stores. And the house that we moved into was well, like a little cottage, uh, had a furnace in there, but like a a swing that if you swung in it, you just hit the furnace and it had a bathtub, in the kitchen, and then add an outhouse inside the house. So I remember when the editors, you know, he, uh, emailed and said, you know, the wording is wrong here. An outhouse is supposed to be outside the house. And I'm like, well, for the sake of the reader, we can do that. But just, you know, but it was inside the house. <laughs> He's like, well, that's too confusing. I said, okay. Uh, and then we moved to the States uh, from the, from the Algonquin Island uh, to a commune uh, up in the Santa Cruz Mountains with the guru. and I went to school there for a while in a high school of eleven. there was I think there were eleven of us in the high school in, in high Santa school. Cruz. yeah,
2: wow. So Santa Cruz is sort of like a well, it's like a like a like more of a, a hippie area, I guess you would say. And did you experience some of that as, as a kid, like seeing your dad go through those, those sorts of experiences?
0: Yeah, my dad was, uh, definitely a hippie. Uh, definitely. He was very much into gurus and going to India and meditation was a really big part of my childhood and and yoga. And I, I remember I had a meditation pillow. And he had meditation retreats at the house. And I remember one time we were with a guru by the name of Baba Mutananda. And that uh, it was a big hall, right? A big meditation hall. And the microphone was being passed around. And I was maybe six, seven. And, you know, people were asking questions like, what's the nature of being? Why are we here? The nature of happiness. And I just remember wanting to grab that microphone. Can I swear? Sure. Uh, and, and just wanted to say fuck you, you know, to, to the whole thing. I, I, I had an aversion to it. So getting sober, that was a hurdle the the meditation aspect,
2: you know, it's interesting. You mentioned it. I, I've always thought I've gone through so many phases in my life with drugs, right? Like, so yeah. whatever drug I was on, you know, I was a, it was a hippie I was into like, you know, all, all techno or whatever when I was doing ecstasy, like whatever. But, uh, and I always thought I had this, I romanticized about, about hippies, but, Getting sober, and and it, you, just this is my experience. You know, hippies may be cool as shit, but not the best parents.
3: Yeah,
0: yeah.
2: and so and it seems like you yeah. had that part of your part of your childhood. And and I'm going to say this. I know you you can go here because that's what you're doing in the book and talking to me. But I just got to say, like, it's tough for me to ask you these questions because I know it's like a tough. It's just a tough topic, yeah. you know. Um, and I'm not ter- terribly well versed on asking these kind of questions, but you're. You're six years old and you get mm-hmm. abducted at a park and you get raped. And this is, is that in Santa Cruz?
0: That was in Victoria, British Columbia, okay. uh, which is, uh, for, you know, known as like this picturesque, you know, uh place with flowers and, and it is, Yeah, and, uh, you know, kind of an unlikely place, but these things, you know, there's no, there's no time or place that they don't
2: happen. Yeah. And you said right. that you, your, your mother, or I guess at the time, your stepmom was, she was like yeah. uh, upset with you when you, cause you, I guess the police took you home and they said, Hey, we got to find yeah. this guy. And she was like, well, what, what's the deal?
0: Yeah, yeah, she was, and I've tried to actually talk about it with her since, like maybe ten years ago. Uh, in, in any case, yes, I was six, and I was alone at the park, and, and it was a different time then. I think kids could go—I mean, maybe not yeah. off to a park. But yeah, but South I would—I would
2: leave the house, and we would just go off, and my parents would. We had this—we had this bell outside our house, and we would—they would, they would <laughs> ring the bell, and we would come home. I mean, and I'm not—you know—from Civil War times. I'm not—I'm not that old, but that's—that's that's how it right? was. This is the mid 80s, mid mid to late 80s, you know, that's what's going down.
0: Yeah. I love that. A bell.
2: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I haven't thought about that in a while. Yeah. But you're doing your thing and kind of you're able to walk off. And unfortunately, I mean, beyond unfortunately, you get swiped by this by this person and he commits these these sex acts. And, you know, how, Mm -hmm. how did that I mean, I can't even imagine that experience, but what happens after that the aftermath you go to try to find the guy and you like you said your stepmom's not happy
0: yeah well you know he told me over and over that if he ever if i ever told anyone that he would kill me so however i was dropped back off at the park at some point and my uh the neighbors actually found me i think they brought me to the police station and we did drive around looking for for the person and my stepmom met us there. She was in art school at the time, so, uh, and she was, so must have been in art class. And yeah, she was very upset with me. And I think it, I really internalized that as I did something wrong, right? Like I got in that man's car, I did something wrong. The shame uh, that it was my fault. So I think the whole processing of it too was another whole thing. Or not processing, and I just don't have a memory of my father being there. I always remember him as being in India at the time, and and I did. Ha- I started having nightmares, and it was too at a time when it just wasn't. There wasn't as much awareness. I mean, there certainly wasn't anything like Amber Alert, or I mean, even though it was the hippies, and you know, I'm sure you know therapy and stuff it was just that consciousness was very different then uh but i did have start having nightmares and all i remember is being taken out of school and going being brought to the hospital and having like uh being told to put, go to sleep and and uh you know having a sticky stuff and wires out of my head and and then at some point the nightmare stopped so i thought it must have been the the glue and the wires that uh that
2: stopped them with nightmares so Uh, you know it's funny and and we're talking about obviously you know i'm not a doctor i'm not no expert i have my experience but what i'm hearing is somebody going through some some hardcore trauma and then you know the age you and i grew grew up in we're around the same age you didn't really talk about whatever was happening so you're not talking about it you're having outbursts and then for me you know, you feel like an outsider. I mean, I had things that made me feel like an outsider, like learning disabilities or whatever, they'd send me to like the reading van to go, I just felt like I wasn't a part of, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. And it's yeah. like, those things kind of can can mount up. And then, I mean, nothing compared to what you went through, but it's all it's all relative, right? You feel outside and that's the yeah. that's the attic part too.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I appreciate that you said that enough, like, I would do that, just what you said, I'd be like, but other kids had it worse. Other kids were locked in a closet or a basement, and they were, you know, beaten or like. And it would, I would really. That was, I guess, one of my coping mechanisms up until not too many years ago
3: of yeah.
0: of not, like, not sitting with it, not not uh, dealing with it.
2: And and you kind of you you have another experience with sexual trauma. Uh, Yeah, as I guess, what happened the the second time when you were young? You you were still around the same age.
0: I was uh, nine at that point, still in Victoria, and I had a boy babysitter, and I and I had a little brother at that point, uh, a two-year-old brother, who I I just you know I I loved being a a sister, an older sister, And, and so this babysitter would babysit us and he would have me play games. And I just remember being really fearful that something would happen to my little brother, of course, to myself as well, and telling my parents that I I just don't like this babysitter and not being heard because he kept coming back uh, until he moved away. And that's something I hear often in recovery, right? Is that, or I'll speak for myself, is not having a voice. And so that's a that's a whole other aspect of it, right? Like how finding our voice, finding my voice, and and uh, when when it's been squashed down before. I mean,
2: how, not but well, I mean, you to- find you find your voice, you 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 speak up, and in recovery yeah. at least it feels good, and then you get yeah. filled up with the ability to cut through those nerves and having faith, and then you you have the ability to, to speak up again and again, you know, yeah. like, and that's for me, like, it's like, the, it's, I've built self-esteem by being, I was such a, still am. I, I want to say such, such a people, am, am a people pleaser. Oh my God. Right. I mean, that's just, aye, aye. I, I was talking to my sponsor about that last week. I was like, how do I stop doing this? You know, and he was like, Well, you're just not a finished product. You have to I had I had to call somebody and tell them that I was unable to to go through with it a commitment because something had come up, something totally legitimate. And my sponsor said, Whatever you do, when you talk to them and tell them that you canceled, don't say like you'll do whatever else you can to make up for it. And and so I was like, Yeah, you know, I I can't do it, but whatever you need, you know, I'll do this and that. And it was like I, I couldn't do it. I could not it was hard enough to pick up the phone and, and, and get out of it, but I couldn't, right? Yeah.
0: I love I just love that I mean especially coming from a man I don't you're as much talk of that and I just love that I mean not love that you experience that because <laughs> it's tough stuff
3: you yeah, know yeah. and
0: I, I I'm right there with you I, I talk with this sponsor often about this and and uh, and it's been one of the most helpful things is getting to take another woman right through that process and then I, I, and say you know my experience with that and how I've been able to find my voice and, and use it and um, specifically with the people pleasing. And, um, and I would say to her, you know, like for me, it still feels like it. When I, when I speak up for myself, when I say I can't do, or I'm not able to do that and not even given it a, a reason, I feel like sending a bouquet of flowers. <laughs> You know, <laughs> but like, like so, but I'm so sorry.
2: <laughs> you know? Yes. Yeah. What the hell is wrong with us? You know, I guess we're, you know, we're just, go, we're just going through it and we're not, and, and, and literally like, like my sponsor told me and like, you know, I kind of hear you, we're not finished products and and that's okay because yeah. we're talking to people about what we're doing and, you know, we're sharing these experiences like I am with you here. Now we talked about your, you know, your trauma and that kind of sets the table for, for lack of a better term, you, your your addiction and your use, which doesn't really—it's sort of like a slow burn. Yeah. You you end up now. Yeah. Do you have any alcoholism or drug addiction in your family?
0: Uh, my half sister is also in the
2: program. Oh, you t- you talk a ton about her. She's like your soulmate almost, right?
0: She's she's act- actually I don't my since my father was married five times. I have six other brothers and sisters. Okay. I,
2: so this is a different one.
0: Yeah, this is a different okay. one. And, and I okay. focus on my other sister because it became too many characters in the book. Yeah, yeah. It, it that, was yeah. like, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to write like a 500-page novel yeah. <laughs> or book. So you but, you,
2: do, you got a little bit going on in the bloodstream, possibly. Yeah. But, but Yeah,
0: I found out, you know, as I think many of us do, like I, the more I kind of dig. For sure. I'm like, oh, yeah. my grandma. Yeah. You know, like pills, apparently, kinda, and you know, I'm certainly think like in another form. My mom had a, you know, perhaps a sex and love addiction. Yeah, and filling uh,
2: filling that hole with what with whatever. It's funny you mentioned we discover the stuff. It's not usually. you know, our family doesn't lead with that. You know, it's not a headline that, that we have. Here's your, you know, here's your, yeah. you know, whatever addicted uh, person, X, Y, and Z. My mom eventually did. When we started to drink a lot, she would share with us, hey, your father and his family, they've got this thing going on, and, and you guys need yeah. to watch it. But it was kind of, I, I learned the more I got sober, the more I learned about it. Now, with with you, you said, yeah. you, well, I, I guess I, I learned the first time you, you did acid, you were like 17 or 18, uh, and it was to impress. Yeah, was, in, it was to impress a guy.
0: Uh, yeah, it was, it was yeah. In high school, probably sixteen, in guitar class, and uh, yeah, he wanted to drop acid and I had you know never done that before. And I thought, well, okay, that'll look really cool, and that will yeah impress him. And it didn't. Uh, he, <laughs> chose, he chose my best friend instead. <laughs> well, that was a waste. <laughs> and I didn't get a good grade. Uh, yeah.
2: How about drinking? Were you drinking during these like formative years? And I know it becomes a big part of your story down the line, but early on, I I didn't hear you mention it too much.
0: Yeah, I didn't. I was. It's funny to think like when I like when I think of I'll never consider myself a good student, but I always forget. Like it was important for me to be like in the girls' honor society and, and things like that because I wanted to get good grades and that route because my father was an intellectual and was a you know, professor. And it was that, that was, that was some something there about doing well in school. Uh, I remember one time getting drunk uh, in high school. It was at a party and all I remember is that red cheek wine out of the carton and not being able to stop and, and ending up in the restroom and just, you know, not like getting sick with that, you know, red wine everywhere. So there was that binge quality. There was the binge quality. I wouldn't even call it quality. I <laughs> it binge binging, yeah. right from the get go. Uh, however, drinking didn't wasn't a thing until I was thirty six.
2: And but then so, this is after like almost a decade, right, of of using crystal meth. And so after, after high school, do you, do you go right to, do you go right to California? What do you do after, or do you go to Chicago?
0: I was really homesick for Canada. So I graduated high school early, which wasn't too hard to do because the school here's where a lot easier. And I went straight back to Toronto and uh, I spent some time there and then I wanted to go back to school. So I went to Montreal and, uh, to study religion of all things. <laughs> and I, I i didn't realize it was a religious department. Like I thought it was, I wanted to study religion, <laughs> not not be religious.
2: Yeah, like and, you wanted to study theology, not become a nun, or yeah. Yeah, or, I was like, oh, what?
0: Huh, <laughs> so, and I was just really lost there. And I just remember walking the streets at night. I was so lost, Pete, just, completely bewildered you know I had this fantasy of learning French being a French girl and uh, just leading this interesting life and I just remember I had this little apartment and all these little cockroaches would come out at night and I would leave and just walk the streets looking for Leonard Cohen because I you know had that you know schoolgirl crush on on letter Cohen, and uh you know I'm not sure why I thought I would run into him in the, in the middle of the night. On was the he, he he and, was
2: uh, in Montreal though yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. or at least I, I thought he was maybe <laughs> well so that 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 situation is playing out and again, it goes back to and, and whether you have it in your your bloodstream or whether. You have trauma or you have that like emptiness, right? Like like, you know, yeah. n- no mom around when you were younger. There's something going on here. And then y- you you go from Montreal and and then I guess you, you kind of reunite with your sister at some point, who was like your best friend, and you felt like when you and her were together you'd be you'd be great.
0: Yeah. Well, I would spend summers every summer with my uh with my mom. Although I don't remember her around particularly, she was, like I said, really into her men and her own thing. Uh, However, my little sister and I were, I mean, we tried to glue our hands together. And when I would leave to go back to Canada every summer, at the end of the summer, she would, like, grab onto my ankle and just scream as if I was, like, leaving to go to war or something. And uh, so our plan was always that as soon as we graduated high school, there's a three-year difference between us, we would meet in LA. That was always our plan. And uh, so I had a, I had a few years because I'm her older sister, to kind of wait for her. So from Montreal, I went. I uh, my mom called. I called my mom from a phone booth one day, uh, and. I mean, young people kind of know what
3: (laughs) a bone is,
2: right? (laughs) Yeah, Uh, it's funny. Yeah, Yeah, an
0: outdoor phone in a box. (laughs) And it's the middle of winter in Montreal, right? It's freezing. And I called my mom and I'm crying because one thing she was, she was good in coming through in, in emergencies. And I told her, like, you know, I'm not going to class. Like, I'm just, you know, my boyfriend had gone to Hawaii or kind of my my kind of boy boyfriend at the time and uh and she's like we well, come to florida i said i can't because Harry just bought me a fridge and i can't leave the fridge and she said <laughs> she said fuck the fridge i'm sending you a ticket you're coming back to florida tomorrow <laughs> so i left everything and i went to florida <laughs>
1: heroes gonna tell you
2: about hey i'm zach and i'm mike and we have a fantastic new podcast to tell you about bros foes and heroes it's the two of us looking into the world of comics breaking down some characters that you may have never heard of and some that are just absolutely ridiculous
1: yeah so zach comes up with a character each time and uh, i go into it just completely blind I don't know who this person is or what their abilities are or anything and and basically I guess we kind of go over their origin story and just some of the ridiculous stuff that maybe especially Golden Age stuff. Oh,
2: Golden Age stuff is always the best and we will make sure to highlight all of the shenanigans and just absolute weirdness yeah. of
1: everything. Yeah, that's right. So subscribe today and uh, follow us on Instagram at Bros, Bros Heroes. And if you don't, I know where you live. Not really, but please subscribe. Bros <laughs> and Bros and Heroes <laughs> Um, what are we doing here, Rusty? What are we going to do? Uh, yep, we're doing the Buh-ha-ha King of the Hill Rewatch Podcast. King of the Hill yes, Rewatch sir. Podcast. Yeah, so we're going to go through one episode at a time. Uh, come along for the ride with us. Come check it out. And hey, give, me, give me a good, um, like, Dale Gribble quote to go out on. Wingo, <laughs> Wingo, <laughs> Wingo! All right, well, join us. Uh, join us for Boah, uh, the uh, King of the Hill Rewatch Podcast.
0: Nine one one, what's your emergency? Do you hear that? It's coming from the house. It's coming from inside the house. Uh, do you mean? Could it be?
3: The Bolter House.
2: Your mom, by the way, was pretty – she was – look, she seems like she was empowered. I mean, she she would talk about relationships with men. I think it's worth noting, I mean, there's a year where she had sex with 100 men. Is that correct?
3: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So she was – she didn't really give a fuck, it sounds like.
0: No, no, she didn't, he didn't. She would tell me like, oh yeah, that was a great year. It was, I was about to say his name, but some baseball player. And she's like, and his friend, you know. Oh, I'm
2: dying to know the name. I know you can't say it, but I'm dying. I'll tell you after. Okay, okay. (laughs) Um, Yeah, you'll have to tell me. So you go to Florida and then I know you go to, you start ending up in this, this, the sex industry when you get to Chicago, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because that story is great. I mean, it's not great, but I can so relate as I don't know whether it's, you know, I have certain things that I like to do and that I'm good at. Um, yeah, there's a lot of stuff I'm terrible at. And, and there's also even like some of like the jobs people will call remedial. Like I got a job at KFC when I was in a halfway house and I was terrible at that. I mean, I got better, but you talk about, (laughs) you you talk about you're working at a place that's kind of like a 24 hour fitness and you're like, fuck this. You know? Yeah. You had to be yeah. there at 6 a.m. and you were like, this is no work.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I ended, exactly. I ended up in Chicago for uh, a short, for a period of time. I My uh, friend was filming a movie there and we were both like, you know, she's like, I'm really lonely and I'm in this huge apartment, you know, like, and I was like, well, I'll come, you know. So I thought, okay, I have a, you know, I, I got, yeah, I got a job at 24 Fitness and it was like that you know blue spandex and that like white polyester shirt buttoned up and uh and it was like some 5 a.m shift and i get there and i standing there in that outfit and I'm like i think i lasted like three hours and i'm like i just can't do this like I, I can't do this i can't stand here in this spandex for and get paid minimum wage how am i gonna get, like i can't make money for college this way and just went home and uh and i just remember looking through the chicago tribune and eating a can of tuna and look you know looking in the classified section for for other jobs and i saw an ad that said make 300 an hour and i you know i remember throwing a can of tuna out getting another can sitting back down i'm not sure why the tuna stands out but I remember the tuna at the Chicago Tribune and the ad, and it said, you know, and I called the number, and uh, and I think it was that night that I took the I took the train out to some strange part of Chicago and met a man at an Italian restaurant and talked about uh, I don't remember what we talked about, but he had garlic bread and and I
2: started working for him. Yeah. And, and that's, that, that really kicks off. See, cause person, your life's been chaos, uh, yeah. f- from what I can tell up until this yeah. point, but now like you're actively involved in the chaos per se, like, you, and, and, yeah. I, and, and you talk about this, you didn't, you know, a lot of people are like, Hey, I got into stripping or, or being an escort because of, cause I was on drugs. Like that's not your story.
0: Yeah. That's right. Yeah, I was doing a panel uh, a number of months ago in Chicago. It was really interesting, uh, and one of the audience members asked that he's like, "Well, uh, you you were fueled by your drugs to do to be in that industry, and I, I there was no point where that was the case." And it, I'd like to blame on that, like, "Oh, I was high and drunk," uh, but I wasn't. I was. I was very sober. I mean, sober, not emotionally sober, but yeah. physically. Well, clearly, except that's for one what... time doing coke with a couple. Uh,
2: oh, yeah, did, did that, you like it?
0: No, I didn't. I it was my first time ever doing coke. I was nineteen. Was Chicago. I was called to be to go see this couple, uh, and they had like. Satin sheets and the coke—I mean, just like straight out of a movie. Yeah. You
2: know, like, I'm getting like a big smile. Yeah, uh,
0: yeah. Yeah. yeah, like my lavender satin. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, it was terrible. It was just terrible. I remember going back to the apartment where I lived with my friend, and it was right downtown, and it was like one of those really uh, high-rise. It was twenty-fourth floor, and I just. I want to jump out. That's all I remember about it. I want to jump out the window.
2: So you're talking. We're talking about like higher end clientele. I mean, pretty much for the for the most part, when you're doing this, that's what I gleaned from from your book.
0: That I wish that were the case. Okay. I once I got to L.A. It was, mm-hmm. but in Chicago, my standards. I mean, I was with. It was like a dumpy apartment where I would go. Uh, you know, to, to work. And it was like this, uh, blur zebra, like, and a like aqua couch, the girls and I would sit on eating bologna sandwiches waiting for like, you know, to be, to fit some man's description. And I think it was, I mean, I don't know if that's a lot at that time, but I don't think so. I mean, it felt like a lot to me versus minimum wage, but I think it was like two or 300 an hour.
2: Okay.
0: And then, you know, the, let's say the pimp but didn't really feel like a pimp but that was what was you know get some of it and and the driver gets some of it so
2: you know like uncle sam once he's done, done with, you. with you it's like hey you know it's not it's not everything i thought right yeah and i, and I yeah. wasn't
0: like i wasn't a savvy call girl yeah. i mean i had no game right like I, I was terrible at it like the first man i ever had or had or the first man i ever went to i think he wanted me to talk dirty to you know to him and you know, I'm 19, I'm standing there and Mr. Sam is like, you know, you need to look like you're, you're doing this a while. And I'm like, okay. And the guy wants me to talk dirty to him. And I just breeze up. Like, I just can't, I'm just I, like, I can't get the words out. I got better later, but, <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, you know, you need to go with a higher class service. And he named some famous people that he could you not know, connect me with. and And I just didn't, you know, I didn't even jump on that. Instead, we went for donuts. Like, he's like, let's go out for donuts.
2: So he's a good, uh, guy. good
0: guy. Yeah, he was a good guy. I mean, yeah. he never called for me again, which was fine. But <laughs> we went out for donuts, he paid, and he said, you need to be with a different, you know, agency. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so you, you're going through all this and then you're still, you're not using drugs. I mean, uh, aside from the occasional, you know, you mentioned yeah. doing coke and then this is, this only lasts for a couple months. And then I guess you're yeah. you kind of reunite with your sister. And you guys end yeah. up stripping together um, in California because yeah. you want to be act. You, you get in that world, right? You want to be actors. And then what happens? Yeah,
0: We, uh, yeah, I moved to LA at, uh, when I was 24 and she was 21. Uh, and it took me a little while to get here. <laughs> uh, Cause I had some detours along the way. And when I got here, you know, I had no money. It was, and I, I'm hesitant to say I had no money because a lot of people have no money and they don't choose to go work for madame Ava. Yeah. Right. So it's like, I don't want to blame it on that. And I don't, that's not my intention. That is the path I chose. Like I, I went back to uh, prostitution as soon as I came back to LA, I worked for madame Ava for a little while. And then I stepped up and I started stripping with my sister So it was like a step up because it was, you know, I was no longer selling myself in that particular way.
2: And when you guys start to strip and then you start to do meth, is that your first experience where the woman says, you know, you do Mm -hmm. meth to lose weight? Yeah. Wow. You are, you yeah. are really, it didn't take. this is unusual. You are yeah, good. Yeah. And it You're didn't, good to me. Well, it didn't take, right? You do the math for 30 days. It's like they, we say in the rooms, we'll give you 30 days and refund your misery. Well, you do it for 30 days. You don't lose any weight. And you say, well, forget about it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We don't. It's, I mean, I had no clue. Cause we were bad moods. We were clumsy on stage. We didn't lose weight. Yeah. And, uh, however, I will never forget that first time crushing those lines on the formica table in our black kitchen. I, the yellow formica crushing those lines. And I just remember telling my sister, you go make the beds. I'll be in charge of this. And she's like, fine. And it just it didn't have the same effect on her. But even before I ever did my first line of meth, that ritual I was
2: all in. Yes. And that's the thing. Like you see, like there's a control aspect. You're into the ritual because it's just like such an environment. Your sister's, I guess, not an addict, right? So she can kind of, whatever. I mean, she goes through binges and benders, but you, yeah. we're a different breed. Yeah. And yeah, and, the poor
0: thing didn't become one of us.
2: Yeah. And, and and you do this for your poor thing. When you do this for, you know, about a month stretch and then you, you kind of get back out there and, you end up, you end up escorting again, like in your, and, and it's like su- extremely high clientele now, right?
0: Yeah. At that point it is high clientele. Uh, I still wasn't particularly savvy, but it was, yeah. uh, yeah, I was re- voting to the peninsula for, or for people who are not in LA, it's comparable to like, you know, Beverly Hills hotel, uh, Beverly Hills. Yeah. Hotel, uh, you know, in Bel Air, Uh, Yeah, definitely higher clientele and and enough so that, you know, you you need to, uh, Madame Ava lent me some money to go get a nice black suit. You know, no more, uh, like in Chicago, I was wearing, you know, $10 cotton bright purple mini dresses, you know, that hardly covered myself. Yeah, And that would definitely not <laughs> need to be in a crisp pencil suit. Would,
2: would you uh, go out with these guys, like, like go to like big events and stuff like that?
0: No, it was always in, it was always, uh, I mean, some of them wanted to, I, the hardest part would be the, uh, would be the talking and would be going out. So that was, I just couldn't do it. And it's like, I couldn't fake the talk. Yeah, I couldn't picked the talk, but I could bend over. I mean,
2: that's <laughs> I <get> it. like <laughs> I get it. Well, see, it's, yeah. it's, it's it's sometimes the talk is more exhausting. I mean, I don't know what it's like to be in your shoes, but when you, yeah. I, I, I would imagine that makes it just more real. Like I'm so disconnected to this person right now. You know, yeah. kind of almost punctuates. You know exactly what's going on. Yeah,
0: yeah, just like with stripping. You know? I mean. It, it's rare, or at least in my experience, to have to talk to any stripper that I had worked with uh, where the worst part was when the men wanted to
2: talk. Yeah. You said and, some You said some of the guys were, were, were shitty guys. Some of the guys were good guys, like you mentioned. The one thing that jumps out at me, and you you said there's you're watching the Oscars once and a guy who yeah. you'd been involved with who wasn't so cool was up there getting, no. getting an award. And you're like, wow. And you said that that, that was a real, like your stomach almost turned over.
0: Yeah, even as you say it right now, I feel sick. I mean, that's odd to still have that feeling, but yeah, it was like he, uh, yeah, he was not a savory character and that was in probably one of the most upscale hotels. Uh, And he did not pay, uh, I wasn't good at getting getting and counting the money up front. I was like embarrassed to kind of count the money it, which is insane. I mean, you don't go to Seven Eleven and you know, <laughs> you know get a get a hot dog and like a, you
3: know so you're, you're
0: giving yourself over and you're not. I'm not counting the money.
2: Yeah, uh, <laughs> I I get it. I I mean I just like it's one of those things where you just kind of want to act like it didn't happen or whatever. I could I could see why why that why that would go down. Plus I'm terrible at math, so I'd probably be You know. Um, so right. I mean, it's kind of like all that stuff, uh, into one. Oh now, yeah.
0: And it's people pleasing. I would just like be, yes. and be like, yeah, oh, yeah. oh, this is do- good.
2: This is good. I know, you know, so you, you yeah. end up, the, right. one of the things fast forward a little bit, and this is where the meth really takes off because this podcast yeah. is all about addiction and your story is, is so interesting, but it is yeah. like the more I, I, I deep dove you're all about recovery, but your addiction takes off when this dude walks in, to uh, what is it? A California pizza kitchen or a California
0: California chicken? Yeah,
2: California chicken, and he's got all the tattoos on, and yeah. he—he's just you're attracted to this guy.
0: Yeah, at that point, I was probably 28. My sister had gotten married, and we had been so enmeshed in our lives. Just it, you know, I relied on her; she was my like, everything, and and like I didn't exist within myself without her, right? and when she got married and moved to new york i I fell apart it was i really think it was a nervous breakdown although it wasn't technically called that and when they talk about in the program the solution i get that because my solution was drugs and when i saw this guy at at, um, california chicken as soon as he walked in it was like just i knew it was trouble and you know, fresh, I mean, he looked like he was fresh out of prison, and I don't even recall being attracted to those kind of guys before, so it was, even when I think about it now, it's kind of strange, I'm like, it's not, yeah, uh, anyway, I was in a really wrong, like, really wrong, really raw place, and I guess I just, anyway, whatever, I was, yeah, so he, he gave me his croutons or something, and then I followed him into what, actually what was an AA meeting across the street. And that was the first meeting I ever went to in my life.
2: No um, kidding. And so what And so what happens after that?
0: I remember sitting, it was a big meeting. I remember, and he walked in there. So I had followed him in. That's what, actually what, that's what happened. It was right across the street and I followed him. And I sat in the back and I just saw, like, I knew instinctively that it was a place that I, that was okay to not be okay. I didn't go back for 10 years. It planted the seed though. Yeah. And on the break, we connected while he was, you know, connected. We didn't connect, but you know.
2: <laughs> yeah, sure. We talked. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh.
0: <laughs> and he was, uh, he at the time was staying at Beit Shuba with, uh, it's, a, it's a Jewish rehab, which I actually spoke out last Wednesday night and I hadn't been back there since. Oh, shit. Yeah, it was, that was like 20 years ago. And I, I went back last week uh, for a new experience, right? Yeah. Uh, but I I rescued him from that rehab and we put all his stuff in my car, you know, which was consisted mainly of like garbage bags full of like, one of the chapters in the book, it's called Dope and Bald Pussies, because he had all these, you know, ca- uh, video cassettes of, it was just, that's all he owned, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> like video cassettes of like, you know, porn, uh, specifically, you know, the title I just said,
3: Both. but, <laughs>
0: um, and we went to Seaway Motel, which is still there to this day. And fortunately he went, he got, uh, he went back to prison. Cause that was the deal that if he didn't, uh, stay at that place, he'd go to prison and I took his contacts and I was off and running. So that really that marked the beginning of the the end.
2: Of of a bottom that lasts like 10 years. Yeah. And so and, and you're now you're running and gunning and 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 describe yeah. if you can your addiction to to meth. What how did it make you feel? Uh, yeah. how much did you like it, or did you just do it because you needed to do it?
0: I well, I mean I did like the ritual. I it I didn't like I didn't like it though. Like that to me is the terror of this disease. Is that right from the beginning? Like it, it wasn't a party. And I remember, it, you know, like at first it was a summer, and I'm like, I'm in my 20s. A summer of meth doesn't seem, you know, it's not completely. That's okay, and then it's like six months, and then it's a year, and then it's five years, and so you nailed it when you said that it was a bottom; it was all a bottom. And what it looked like for me was, I mean, certainly the lying, the stealing, uh, but the complete that dem- you know incomprehensible demoralization, doing things that perpetuated that self hatred. Yeah. You know, and live, like, I was a real bathroom girl. I loved that isolation of bathrooms. All, like, I know, I'm not trying to brag here, but I know all the good bathrooms, like, from, you know, East LA to the beach. Because you'd stop uh,
2: in there and you'd 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 snort meth. And then you just yeah. keep snorting meth in the bathrooms. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah it basically became, everything is interesting
2: oh, at least oh yeah, yeah. I was a big i i was a big cocaine guy and a huge adderall there was not enough Adderall I mean it was just i mean I, I would take you know you could kill a horse I was taking so much and because your tolerance gets up there, and I remember a girl yeah. I was dating one overseas and she sent me this tube of six hundred uh Pills of ten milligram Adderalls, and and I, and I was, you know, yeah, exactly. I was like, you're the, a good
0: picker, Pete. Yeah, I know,
2: right? <laughs> People pleasers. Um, and uh, you know, it was, it. I was hearing voices. I wasn't sleeping. I mean, it was just a long run. And then when that's out, you you continue to fill that void. And I, so I, I get what you're saying. There's there's a moment in your addiction, as we get closer to when you got sober, where you're dating this guy. One, the dude. Yeah. You guys live in Echo Park. The guy doesn't know that you're using meth, but you're using meth all the time. And yeah. you have, uh, you really are attracted to plants uh, and gardening, right? So this dude goes to work, right? He's working at a flower shop. And you are in this brush, like, and I, I heard you say it, all day. And and all you day. you mean all day. You know? <laughs> all day. Yeah. Like what's yeah. what's that experience like? What's happening there?
0: Well, yeah, he would go off to work, and I just remember so business, like being in my little night night, you know, see through nightgown, like kind of you know, it's like the angelic white nightgown, and I'm the you know, and, and it's like I have no shoes on, no no gloves, no you know proper attire to garden, and I just like I'm gonna go back inside to not use. That was my goal every day. Like don't use. And, and I just remember, like, you know, picking one branch of Bougainvillea. And bougainvillias, for those who don't know, have thorns. They're a really thorny bush. Uh, and I would pick one. And it became so interesting, right? And then I'd be like, "Oh, that looks better. And then I'd pick another one. And then another one. So it's comparable to, like, picking your face, right? It was just that. Tunnel of of can I just be completely tangled in those bushes all day, and I, you know, with that dry mouth, having to pee, you know, seeing that I'm getting completely torn up, right, and and not feeling well after not having slept a few days, somewhat like, delirium course, dehydrated and remember this neighbor came it was the only time someone ever called me out and she brought me some lemonade and uh she said are you using drugs and i was so appalled like i was just like i just love gardening like how dare you and you know I drank the lemonade
2: uh well, yeah so it. What's that? You needed it with the dry. I, I can feel. I've been there. The dry mouth, and it's like you literally need someone to come and like keep and you alive. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like here's yeah. what you need. You need to take this in, and uh, that yeah. that that whole. I've heard you tell that story, and, and I, I am like right there with you. It's one of those things where it's like, oh my god, where's the time gone? When I started this, I was feeling good. I was like high and I was so into this. And now I'm like, what is what's happening? And for me at that yeah. point, I was like, I, I need a drink. Uh, but for you, like alcohol wasn't a huge part of the equation at that point.
0: No, not at that point, no. And uh yeah, and and I mean, those kinds of yeah, and gardening, I mean, just these things that became very interesting that like I've never gardened since you know uh, <laughs> i have some plants i'm trying to keep alive in my apartment but that's about it uh yeah my disease it was just what you said those hours the time the days turned into months into years and i'm taking apart i mean i was a real big i mean i was a tweaker uh and i loved home depot and especially the nail aisle like i was always at home depot i loved it you know, like the doorknobs were just fascinating,
2: and you would take apart doorknobs.
0: Oh, so
2: interesting! And so would, you, interesting. would you be able to put them back together? Not really. <laughs> There's nothing worse when you start a project like that, and you're you're high, and then you look like you're like, oh boy, like where am I going to go with that? Right? Somebody's coming yeah. home. I have to explain that to them. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. When my boyfriend at the time, when Echo Park came home, I was like, "I'm like, this is. I know how to do door dumpsters. It's so interesting." He's like, "Well, can you put it together?" And I'm like, "Tomorrow, maybe."
2: How did you? How did this? You mentioned this is, or we talked about it, it's like a ten year bottom. How did you get at it? Like, like when did you break? When was your last day on meth? And and you were yeah. like, I, "I, I, what, what happened?"
0: You know. This is the thing, right? And I, I often hear this from other people, too. Like, I don't know why one day was so different than the other, because it was all that terror, all that, again, that gripping demoralization and all the promises to myself. Like when my dealer would go to jail and I'd be like, OK, this time, I, I guess I'm getting sober. Like I would call that right, like sober. Yeah. Until the as soon as the person called. uh, And. It was the, uh, my, my bottom, although, like I said, again, it was all a bottom. The last day of meth was in the Bougainvilleas and I had moved out of where I was living with my boyfriend at the time into this little studio or yeah, studio apartment. And it had a backyard, all Bougainvilleas. Oh,
2: jackpot. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I'm like, this is, I'm going to live here. <laughs> like, this, like, this is paradise. And it was actually, it was a really beautiful place. <laughs> and uh, and that particular day, I was just just like many others, you know, in the bushes. And it got to the point where the sun was going down. I dragged myself into the bathroom and I looked in the mirror and it sounds so corny because it's like, you know, all of this, all these years. And then I looked in the mirror and I saw the light and I got sober. And it, I don't mean it like that at all. It, However, it, it, like I looked in the mirror and, you know, just uh, I couldn't look at myself in the eye, right? I mean, I hadn't been able to look at myself in the eye for, for, for years. Uh, but it looked like I had been attacked in the jungle, like up and down my arms where it's like, were just streaked with blood and, uh, you know, scrapes from the thorns and up and down my legs. And I think I just kind of collapsed on the bathroom floor, the pink tile. I remember the pink tile. And that was, that was the end of, of meth. And I-
2: How did you stop? I mean, cold turkey or?
0: Yeah, yeah. However, what happened, and I think this is, I didn't use to share this too much, because uh, sometimes I would, I speak at, uh, you know, CMA meetings, uh, or, you know, crystal meth mm-hmm. program, 12 step program, uh, especially here in West Hollywood, because there's not that many girls, actually, there's, anyway, that's a separate yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. However, <laughs> um, but I think it's important to share, because I never considered myself an alcoholic. I thought, well I'm an addict and at at, the, at that point I was 36 I could never really finish a glass of wine I mean except for that high school incident and one one merit one uh wedding I attended in Long Island like those were the two times I I you know got drunk. Uh, I started to drink. And I even remember my friend saying, wow, this is so cool. You're having a glass of wine with us. And I'm like, isn't it like, I'm, you're like, yeah, you're so adult. Like, this is really nice. I'm like, it is. I like this. This is did nice. You, did you find yourself
2: using alcohol as like a vehicle to integrate more into society, at least for, at least for a little bit. That's enough. no. Just,
3: I think it
0: was. <laughs> yeah. I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, you know, it, uh, yeah, not, I mean, it, it, I guess it helped in a sense. Like I was work, oddly enough working at a law school at the time. And so it, it helped me be a little more outgoing.
2: Were you drinking with, during the day and stuff?
0: What's that? Were
2: you drinking like during the day and stuff and going to work? Yeah. and Yeah.
0: Yeah. So it so quickly became apparent to me. And that was the, that was the most frightening part was I saw that it was just replacing the meth and that was it's scary strange. to hear
2: you say that because we just talked about the meth and that was a terrifying and exhausting. And now here you are. And it's like, same, same thing, you yeah. know, same, same thing, same, and shit, so that was... same shit, different day, pretty much. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and, and you start when you start to, I guess you get to a place where you're seeing a therapist, you've been seeing a therapist the whole time. And uh, the yeah. bathroom stuff, I was in CVS yesterday, I thought of you, because, oh, <laughs> yeah, <may> no problem. <laughs> yeah. May you always,
0: may you always think of me as
2: you. No, 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 why, now why for, Hannah, for people who don't know, why did I think of you when I was in CVS?
0: I love CVS. Like I said, I love bathrooms. CVS was across the street from my therapist at the time in Beverly Hills. It's still there. And before therapy, you know, it's 12 o'clock. That's a long time. I need a drink to, before therapy because therapy is difficult. You know, <laughs> take, the, take, the, take the edge off. And uh, so you know, it's, I'd take a bottle of wine or, or champagne. I was a big thief. I, I never liked to pay for anything. So I took that into the CVS bathroom. And I would, uh, yeah, drink part of it and stick it in that, like, trash can and put you know paper towels over it and promised myself I wouldn't come back for it later. And uh and I'd go to therapy. And so that CBS bathroom was uh you know to this day it's so odd to go I mean I don't, I don't normally go to the restroom in CBS anymore. <laughs> it's not really necessary. But to this day going into any any restroom.
2: Any public uh, restroom.
0: Yeah. Uh, it's like
2: I survey it and I'm like, this is a good one. Yeah, well that stuff, that's the disease. It never leaves us totally. I mean, I, you know, cliche or what, the obsession is lifted. I don't think about, and it took a little bit, right? I mean, my first, I went to rehab, I lived in a halfway house. I was like institutionalized for a while, you know? And I I had to, you know, there was a lot of urges early on, you know? And I don't have those anymore, but I still have the mind where I'll still see something and be like, well, I would have, if I ever walk into a steakhouse bathroom, I'm like, this would be perfect. You know, like that's Uh like, I could, I could, I could move in here, you know, and just, and just do, do cocaine all the time and go back out for a glass of red wine every so often and then just come back. I mean, that's really
0: a nice steakhouse or a,
2: a nice one. Yeah. Or, or (laughs) anyone, anyone where the doors close, you know, and, and (laughs) like the big wooden doors, like a Capital grill, like, forget about it. I'll pay my (laughs) rent there. Yeah. Uh (laughs) Right there them. with you. Yeah,
0: right there with you. Or, yeah. So yeah.
2: so you're going to the CVS, and then the 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 magic per se starts to happen when you walk in and to see your therapist yeah. one day.
0: Yeah, and I you know had always been uh, in therapy this whole time uh, over the years, seeking something and some kind of of help and something uh, some kind of anchor, right? And, and I was specific, and especially attracted to—not attracted by the, you know, in a physical way, but to you know, older women therapists that kind of were that mother figure. And this particular therapist really was that. She was just the most kind woman, like just so gentle. It was just I really loved her. I hadn't been working with her long, and I just remember that day, like I was sitting there, and you know, just this like earthy woman, right, with her you know, painted toenails and her, you know, sitting, like just, I mean, earthy painted toenails don't go together, but there's something about her.
2: Yeah. Well, (laughs) it's, it's almost seems for us at that point in time, man or woman, it feels like that is unattainable for us. She's so put together. She's so attractive. She's so inside and out. You're like, I can never be this. That's my experience with stuff like that. Yeah.
3: Yeah.
0: She's a woman that can sit with herself. That's what I saw. And that is what I had always wanted. Right. Always that looked like, wow, if I could be someone that could sit with themselves, that's the dream. And it was unattainable to me, or I thought it was. Uh, And she said, Hannah, if you come in like this, if you keep coming like this, we can't do the work. And I heard her. And at that point, I knew I had a problem that was apparent to me. And the next day I went to my first meeting, uh, two blocks from where I lived, where that Bougainvillea bush, uh, backyard was. And I, and I walked into a Wednesday meeting, 12 step program, and I raised my hand and it was, uh, my life was unmanageable and I was powerless and my journey began. You
2: know. How hard was um, it at the beginning?
0: It was excruciating. Uh, like those early days were so hard, so hard to get my head to the pillow. Sober was, was everything, right? Like how, how, how does one, or how do, how like for myself, time becomes so different when you're not on meth or drinking. <laughs> like time, yeah. it's like, what? And waking up in the morning, first of all, just waking up in the morning, right? Uh, like the paralyzing depression, anxiety, like that terror was just gripping. So it was like every moment was was really unbearable. There was no pink cloud, uh, not for a long time. The one thing I did, though, is I got my head to the pillow sober, you know, I did use Adderall in the first three months because I was really worried about getting gaining weight. People kept saying, you're gonna gain like the the freshman 10, the sobriety 10, and I'm like, no, I'm not. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm like, no, fuck you, Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> no, and plus I still, you know, at that point, I had two sugar daddies, a boyfriend and a lover, and I'm like, they're not gonna want like some girl, with, and you know, well, anyway, I, I need, you know. But I that's an interesting one
2: component one. too, because, you know, Time takes time. Like whatever about, you know, those relationships is making you feel some kind of way when you're sober, yeah. eventually for you, that just doesn't work anymore. Um, and no. it's, and but, but that's sobriety for you, your life. You have to, you know, people say, you know, um, all you have to do is change everything, but like yeah. it's damn near impossible to change everything overnight. And so yeah. this journey for you involves, you know, you go in. To, to the rooms with two sugar daddies and yeah. you start to kind of thaw out and clear up yeah. and what are the steps you go through not only to you know remove that kind of stuff from your life but what are you doing to just to change because if you're at all like me the first the beginning is like you said every moment is excruciating um you know and I've, I did find a lot of hope and good energy in meetings and I, that made me feel good yeah. And so I was like, okay, this is the only other thing that can make me feel good, and I'd finally started to wrap my mind around that this other stuff was killing me, and I felt like I had a couple more tricks left up my sleeve as a human being, you know, to actually yeah. do the right thing and help people with like God given talents. You know, how did you how did you ma- manage all those all that time early on? I mean, so for you, it
0: was excruciating too.
2: Yeah, early on, for sure, because it was yeah. it was everything. I've done it for 20 years in the last 10 years all the time. And the only thing that could really, for me, treatment was the only thing that worked. I, it was the first time I tried. I'd been in and out of AA for, for. it took me 10 years to get one year, right? So I go to mm-hmm. treatment, and there's a wall between me and everything else. And that worked, you know? And, and I started to realize um, the more the more I bought into the program and to just saying what was really going on with me, telling the truth. Yeah. And that felt good, you know? And, yeah. and I saw people go before me where it worked for them. And I was like, I got, I got to do this. And I really was, you know, anything, it was, it was so fleeting. I don't know if it was like this for you, but it was so, me, just me. You mentioned that first meeting you went to, uh, there were six people there, right? Yeah. Now imagine these are six people. Like, what if they all had some shit come up that night? You know, what if you walk in and nobody's there? I mean, now it's bigger yeah. than us in a sense where you you probably, or you, you were ready, but that just shows how fleeting sobriety is. Like, on the wrong day, if the wrong thing happens, I, I'm not here sitting here talking to you. I'm dead or I'm in prison.
0: Yeah, that's right. That is, yeah. And those six people, I still have their cards. They gave me their cards that day. Uh, or the people that gave me their cards that are in... Right behind me in the kitchen drawer. And and I never called any of them, but I, it's, the, it's a testament to the importance of reaching out, right? And handing someone your number and being there, being the hand, whether or not they call you. Because those cards gave me hope. And I came home and I looked at it. And I remember looking at this one girl and she had red hair and said, actress. And I'm like, that's an alcoholic. And I can call her. I didn't. But it gave me something, you know. And I brought one of those cards to my uh, a wedding in that first month I was sober and white, and I didn't drink. I did use Adderall because I didn't want to eat the cake. <laughs> but <laughs> and I, I did, you know. I, I ended up telling my sponsor, and that didn't go well. Uh, how, <laughs> a
2: new sponsor. How were you? Yeah, let me get a new sponsor. Right? How how were you with like you know? Obviously, sex guys were a big part of your your addiction and yeah. and, and that murky past. How were you able to transition in, into dating again? And and I mean, that's oh for me God. that was so tough because I always, alcohol, um, you know, made me feel like I I felt very I felt less than you know just from 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 the beginning of the day till the end of the day. When it came to there were things I was confident about in my life, but it certainly wasn't relationships with with women. And so alcohol yeah. was my conduit to that. And so when I got sober, man, there was a lot of work to be done. You know how did how did you, how did you get through oh all that God. and work through that.
0: Wow. I well one, thank you for sharing that. And yeah, the the, the dating and the love stuff, uh the love stuff. Uh one I immediately like, immediately stopped seeing uh the lover. Mm-hmm. Like I knew I just couldn't and that was incredibly hard, but it equaled a drink to me. And I was serious enough about my sobriety. Like I wanted it more than anything. And I had that gift that talk about the gift of desperation. You know, I was 39 years old. And I saw a glimmer of hope. Within that terror. And that particular person. Uh, yeah, it just knew it would equal the drink. And that was really tough because that person kept contacting like it was yeah but I just you
2: know were you in love with this person and yeah that, that shows how that shows how high the you said on some level but that shows how high the stakes are uh yeah we you, were together for like yeah.
0: two years yeah. yeah
2: and when you're really in it I mean you start to do things that you do not want to do and, yeah. and, and, and then you start to feel better yeah as hard as that shit is it's like oh wow like, I followed suggestions. I put my sobriety first, and here I am. Maybe it's six months, you know, or a year, but it's like, I'm so much better for having made those hard decisions.
0: Yeah, and to sit on my hands and even have a sponsor, when it came time to amends that, maybe it was time to make amends to him. And she even said, let's take a look at that. And I said, absolutely not. It would be for the wrong reasons. Yeah. Like, it, like I, you know, I, I drew the line at that. I was like, I just, I knew I told my sponsor I'm not, I could use that as an excuse mm-hmm. and I'd be right
2: back in. Yeah, you're you're it. very important because you can tell other people that you sponsor and that come behind you that hey look here's what I did. And that's that's a huge thing about sob- sobriety. It's like a you know and maybe the woman who's sponsoring the girl who who's having the same experience, you know, your friend, let's say, is sponsoring this this particular person. It's like, "Well, I don't know, but 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 Hannah had a similar experience. Go talk to her. That's a beautiful thing about AA. Like if you ask me about what you're going through, it's like I may not have the answer, but we can I've been here long enough where I'm sure I know somebody or directly or somebody knows somebody that you can talk to that's been there.
0: Yeah, that is like we what it talks about where we don't have to do anything alone. Not anything. Like I remember when I had a spot I had a sponsee. I still have well, she's still with me eight years later and you know, it was the time for her to do her fifth step. And she was, you know, apprehensive about sharing certain things with me. And I just remember saying, listen, you know, it was about the, the sex industry. And I said, you're talking to someone that came in. And my best thinking right before I got sober was to place an ad on Craigslist with my sister and be dominatrix, footprint of sisters. Like, I'm not going to judge you for some. T- <laughs> like- yeah, we <laughs> you don't can, judge you.
2: Know? <laughs> Yeah.
0: Like, don't worry about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: (laughs) That's so true, though. It's one of the only places you said when you went to that first meeting, following in that guy who was trouble. You said you knew there was a place to go where it was okay to 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 feel not okay.
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And what a like, how amazing is that, right? Like at like tonight, I have my home group, and it's you know it's been a rough time. Uh, I've been going through it lately. And I get, to, I get to share where I'm out there, right? And because other people do that, I know where to go for people exactly what you said that have it's an experience, you know, whether it's uh, an aging parent or these things that are really huge or small, right? Yeah. Like, I mean... Uh, God, I remember the first time, like I uh, went to get my uh, oil changed. You know, it's like a huge thing. Like, I remember calling someone, and the person's like, "Okay, text me when you're there, and we'll bookend it." I'm like, "Okay," and I pulled in, and I said, "I'm here." And he's like, "Good job, good job, Hana." You know, it's Jippy Lube, and and then like, thirty minutes later, I'm like, "I'm home. I didn't do it." He's like. That's okay. We'll try again.
2: (laughs) Yeah, but that's why people don't understand that, but we do. I mean, it's, it's, and those are things. I have a buddy who got sober when he was like 19, and he literally called a sponsor up once because his parents were like, you need to take the trash out. He's like, I don't know if that's God's will. Let me call my sponsor. And his parents were like, dude, take out the trash. But he literally called us. I mean, that's kind of, and you know what? The success rate for people like that is pretty high as far as are you willing to go to any lengths, you know?
0: Yeah. That, that is exactly, it. like, are you willing to go to any lengths? And I feel very blessed that I've been carried through this whole time. And I know not everyone is. And, and I've also, like, I, I recognize that I've had the willingness. And I think it continues to come back to that, that gift of desperation and, and knowing the alternative and seeing, like you said, something True. in, uh, that, that, you know, something out there that I'm like, Oh, it may be possible. Yes. Cause my thinking and that got me here. And I think in terms of like the, the dating and the sex and, um, we're well not sexy and say sex, but, uh, well,
2: that, you, can go, you can go ahead. I mean, you know, yeah, it's all, it's all kind of part of that same intimidating Monster that can that can yeah. that can honestly sometimes can keep you drunk or keep you using because it's like how am I yeah. going to do that without this?
0: That was really scary to me, uh, especially having followed someone into the program. So I I ended up going mainly to gay meetings when I first got sober, and and actually to this day because they ended up being my my Try. core people, yeah. right? And I just felt safe there, like I wasn't going to, you know follow the wrong guy or whatever. And uh, yeah, so when I got sober, that, that lover I, you know, was over and they, I had, like I said, I had two sugar daddies and I knew I couldn't sleep with them if I wasn't drinking. So it was a choice of, am I, is it taking me closer to a drink or farther away? And I, it was just so clear. Oh, my God, there's no way without some champagne I can I can sleep with this person. And then so I ended it with one of the men. And then the other one, we continued to see each other for a year, but we only ever had sex once when I was drunk and then never sex again. And he was an unusual man. Uh, but we would go to dinner and... You know, he gave me money every month, and he took me to Trader Joe's, and I got uh, a sober job, is what they said to do. And after a year of seeing him, no, phys- no physical stuff. Uh, he was a very nice man, really. Like we go to plays together, and it was very strange. Uh, <laughs>
2: know, Trader company. Joe's, yeah. Like
0: yeah. I'm like I, you know, and when you have a minimum wage job, or at least for me. It, and I quit my job at the law school and, you know, not the, the one sugar daddy. And then this other sugar daddy, because we weren't having sex. I mean, it was, you know, he, it was when well, I'm talking like $200 a month, yeah. but, but that was a lot like <laughs> to, to supplement like my, my dog store job <laughs> and bringing me to Trader Joe's. But it did come, mm-hmm. it was just, it came, there was a Christmas. I was about a year so- sober and he sat me down and he said, I'm in love with you and I want you to move in with me. I'll buy you a car because at that point I had like half a car is smashed in. And I'm probably similar in Texas, like in LA, yeah. you just don't drive half a car. Yeah.
2: No. When you've got you to have a things. car out there.
0: You gotta have a car right. and also you gotta look like <laughs> yeah, you have yeah. something going on. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd, I'd park it like two blocks from the
3: gym so and walk. <laughs> you know, like
0: ooh. <laughs> and uh and you said and, and I'll pay for you to go back to school and get your MFA and and it was, you know, I had to make that choice then. And I I got honest You know, I said, I'm, I don't have those feelings about you. And that ended. And that's really, really when the journey began in a whole other way. Because the financial fear was so gripping. And how am I going to pay the rent? And people kept saying like, just keep coming back it's gonna be okay and I was carried and I remember you know and and I've had other women in that industry reach out to me and there's like a real turning point I mean for me that was the turn like a real turning point of of leaning in or not because he would contact me uh and say, how are you doing? I just want to send you some rent money. And that's kind of the way he was. He would drive all the way over from Sherman Oaks and, like, give $1,000. And he wouldn't even see me. He would just leave it on the, like... And, and, and you started
2: inn. to say no to this?
0: Yeah. And he said, are you okay? Do you have rent? And, like, I didn't. I didn't have rent, and I wasn't okay. Or I didn't feel I was okay. And I said, yes, I'm doing well. Thank you. And... And the people... And the program carried me, and said, "You're gonna be okay." And and then someone would call for me to take care of their dog, and that could be like a hundred extra dollars, or you know, get another job, three jobs, like whatever it took.
2: When did you start to write again, or or to write? Period.
0: Yeah, that was. That took time. Uh, that took time. I think I was maybe a year, maybe two, but I actually, think it was a year. I had a sponsor. My finally got a sponsor because my picker was really off that first year, uh, meaning I didn't know a sponsor should have a sponsor. Yeah. Right. Like, he come or at least for me coming in, it was just like, what are these words? What are What are you guys talking about? Like, uh, but I kept coming back and um with uh just blanking oh with the writing yeah i asked my sponsor you know it was something i was talking to my sponsor about and she said start with five minutes a day and so i began you know five minutes a day and it wasn't with no intention of writing a book or or anything like that uh and I, i began and one of The things is, you know, I think with growing, I had done ballet growing up and the discipline of like, I had that discipline of once I start something and also that, that alcoholic nature of like, once I start, like, no, like I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to write every day. No matter what. that's it. Yeah. And
2: that's your regimen. Yeah. You can't miss that or else you'll go nuts.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So it was like, no matter what I wrote every single day for two years. And uh, that's when I began that. And it was, uh, you know, the actual book was a very, very long process.
2: Couple more things and I'll let you out of here. Where did you find the courage to, to write about such, you know, incredibly vulnerable stuff? Uh, I mean, yeah. yeah.
0: Well, I think one, being so used to saying it in uh, 12-step meetings you know, I, I was, I didn't find that particularly hard to talk about what was going on. And I, and that is a testament to the tolerance and love in the program. Like I would come in and, you know, to the medium would be like, I'm going to go see my, you know, Iranian sugar daddy tonight. And, you know, and have a little dress on with the bow, you know, and yes, the guys, would, you, know, be like, yeah.
2: Yeah. you know,
0: guys would be like, you know, girl, just keep coming back. She looks <laughs> you know, yeah. and, uh, and I, it was one thing I did is I just shared all the all the time <laughs> like you know whatever was going on and so when I was writing the courage I don't know I think that was just this is the fact of of what we do here, right? We share, share from the heart and share what's really going on. And I think the hardest part was knowing that my parents would read it. Or my at least my mother but uh beyond that writing what's really going on like i had already been publishing in um a recovery magazine or a thing called the the fits at the time so i was already sharing parts of my story and uh and i remember they said Do you want to put anonymous on this and i said no
2: wow no, i don't it's awesome yeah yeah and so you start yeah. to you start to write and then you continue to develop your journey. Part of your journey now includes you you, you teach prisoners uh, to write. Yeah, actually,
0: that came from uh, my financial amends. I had a really long, long amends. Yeah, you're like uh, me. You
2: like to steal shit. You like to take stuff that wasn't yours.
3: You right?
0: do. Uh, like
2: I, I, I always say my part of my story is, you know, steal your shit, help you look for it. That's, that's where <laughs> I was. I mean, I spent a lot of time helping people try to find stuff that I knew they were never going to find. <laughs>
0: You you don't look the part. Oh, trust me. Neither
2: do you. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. (laughs) We're we're the ones who really got to be
2: careful. Yeah, exactly.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I I mean, I had been stealing since I was six. So that list was really, really long. And it came to a point uh, in the financial amends where my sponsor, it was right towards the end of the financial amends. And she said, I think you've done enough of these at this point. (laughs) You know, it's the point is that with this last financial amends, I won't think it's time to give back in a different way, not necessarily financial. So I started praying about it and I I went to uh, Angels on Wheels or one of those places to serve food and bring food to, uh, I'm not much in the kitchen, so that didn't, I was like, you know, praying to my, you know, something bigger than myself. Like, put me where I can be of maximum service. And the same thing with the book and right now. Like, you called right when I was praying that day. Like, show me where's – what's the next step? Where Where do you want me to be? Right? And then I got your, your outreach, and I was like, there – thank you.
2: Yeah. Well, thank right? you. And, yeah. I mean, what you're doing yeah. is unbelievable, and I think it's I, – I just think – I think for any of us to – have any kind of a platform and uh, to share our experience, strength and hope with, with people on any kind of stage or platform. is huge because I know when I was going through it, I looked to people that could carry a message that were out there. And, and the fact that you're doing it and people can see you uh, and, in and, and understand, like you said, I love the, your story about the card with the, uh, the this is an actress and she's sober. You didn't yeah. call, you didn't call her. She said, "What's up?" She gave you a card. I mean, sometimes that's all it takes to kind of just yeah. continue to keep us sober for that day.
0: Yeah, yeah, it does. Uh, I, I mean, I can't, I can't count the times I'd run into someone in the program, and they'd be like, you know, uh, like at the gym, and I would, they, my eyes would be watering. And they're like, they would just kind of pat me, like not pat,
2: pat yeah. me. <laughs> that sounds. Be but like, they understand. <laughs> they know what's going on. All right, what's yeah. the last thing? What's what do you say to somebody that's in and out of the room and in and out of the rooms, and they just can't they can't get it, and they ask you like, "What do I do?"
0: I mean, the one thing I did is I kept coming back. And actually, I was asked this yesterday, and and I felt a little strange about saying it because uh, I know people like, "Well, you do the steps, do this and do that," but without my my people holding my hand without the fellowship, without like having a circle, like I have nothing, right? It's through these people getting to hear their stories, having that community. Like to, to the, today, like I, I want to be in the middle because I love the people surrounding me. So I would say, keep coming back, keep coming back, head to pillow sober, like hold on because it gets better and people kept telling me that it would. And I'm like, uh. and also you just never know, like it was someone who had seven days. So anyone coming back, like it was the person that had seven days that helped me get to four days, not anyone else, right? So the power, the, the strength that an actual newcomer also has to carry the message. It was all I could hear. Did that so newcomer that, come that, up
2: to you or say something or what's that? Did the person with seven days say something to you when you had four days or
0: Yeah. I uh it was I was three days and I just remember saw like a crying, just like I I don't I don't know how I'm gonna like it was a six o'clock meeting. I'm like, I don't know how I'm gonna make it through the night. It just like I just didn't, you know, it's and uh after the meeting this young man came up to me and he had seven days and he gave me a hug and he said you're you can do it you can do it and I got to four days and it was that simple but not so simple thing right it wasn't like go home and read the book no it was that hug it was that person saying you can do it and, uh, and I'm well aware that not, not everyone comes back. And, um, what would you say to a,
3: someone?
2: <sighs> Man, I've never had anybody turn it around on me like that. I, I, you gotta have, you gotta be, and it's almost hard for me to say this to somebody because yeah. I'm a people pleaser, but you got, <laughs> you, right. You gotta go to any lengths. That's how I got yeah. sober. I mean, I didn't want to go to treatment. I went to treatment. I didn't want to go to a recovery house. I went to a recovery mm-hmm. house. I didn't want to live with another sober dude in North Jersey for another two years. I did that. You know what I mean? I didn't want to go. To, I did all this shit that I didn't want to do. And yeah. I, I have an incredible, I have access to an incredible life today. Like you, some days I'm going through it and it sucks. But like, you know, for the most part, things were pretty awesome. And it's n- nowhere near what it was before when I was doing whatever I wanted all the time. Like your best thinking got you. That's where my best thinking got me, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. It, it, that willing to go to any lengths, That 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 is it. That is, is is really it. There's so many examples of that where it's like, and to this day, like I met with my sponsor the other night and I told her, I said, I don't want to do that. Yeah. Some directions you gave me. And I'm like, and I'm trying to bargain with her. I said, can I just give that money to a homeless person instead? Like that just seems so much more. You yeah. know, and she's like, no. And I said, that's ridiculous. Like, <laughs> you, <know? laughs>
2: you told her, yeah, exactly.
0: I still haven't done it, but I will. Cause it's you know, in Trust my me, head. I got,
2: I got a bunch of those on the wall, you know, uh, or stick on snow on the roof. All right, look, I'm going to let you get back to your life. I can't thank you enough. The book is called strip. I'll put it in the show notes. Up, you're on Facebook, and I know you just cranked up your Instagram. So we'll drop that in there too. I heard you mention that to somebody. Pete,
0: thank you so much. Thank you for all you bring. I mean, you're yeah.
2: Thank you. Yeah,
0: and, and I like your whole setup here. For people <laughs> who can't see it, it's tight.
2: We got the plants. You know, I knew you'd like that. Are yeah. they real? <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, all right. thank you so much, Anna. Thanks so much for listening to the payoff with Pete.